When Pastor John asked me to share on this message of love, well, I have to be honest, I was a bit overwhelmed. I'm by nature an introvert, and my wife reminds me that my EQ level is kind of at the basement level. <laughs> so this is a huge topic, and I say, my goodness, where do I start? So today, I'm just going to focus on our Father's love for us and how we can love in a steadfast way. Now, 2021 has been another crazy year, uh, another year of pandemic. And we saw the tragedy on the news about the residential school. We see Christians are being persecuted around the world and maybe even back home here. Uh, we saw the flooding in our province recently, supply chain issues, uh, inflation. We see the prices at the supermarket gone up. And some of us have lost loved ones and friends. Some of us may have lost our jobs or our businesses. And our, we live in a constant state of change and flux. Our own plans, our own ideas, things we want to do is always being shaken up. So we're in crazy times. And how do we experience the love of God when we feel that sometimes the rug is being pulled from underneath us? Now, you have been part of the Five Stones cell group study. We've been studying the book of Daniel. And the people of Israel at that time was in exile in Babylon. And they were facing the similar question. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? We are under exile. So in preparing today's message, I used the verse that was shared by Candace and Bruce earlier this morning in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12. I'll read it here. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his son, his one and only son, into the world that we may live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Amen. God is love and God's love is timeless. It's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And God's love is manifest in Christ Jesus, the incarnated King. His love is made complete in us if we love one another. Let's pray. Father, we come to you here entering into the Advent season. We're anticipating the Christmas. Father, help us to just pause our hearts as we just seek you deeper in this season. Father, we know that there's so many things happens around us and we're entering a time that we will be uh, seeing people. There's a anticipation of joy, but also sometimes there's anticipation of uneasiness 
when we uh, come together with our people. Father, we ask you to help us see your word, and please let us just, in, just be in filled with your love through the Holy Spirit as we encounter people around us, Lord. We pray that, Lord, you help me today as I share the message that the Holy Spirit will speak your word and truth into our lives, Lord. Thank you, Father. We pray in your precious name. Amen. So this morning, I would like to uh, share some poetry. Uh, and this poetry is about our sovereign king. This is a poem by British poet uh, Christina Georgina Rossetti. She wrote this poem in 1885. It's called Love Came Down at Christmas. It goes, Love came down at Christmas. Love all lovely. Love divine. Love was born at Christmas. Star and angels gave the sign. Worship we the Godhead. Love incarnated. Love divine. Worship we our Jesus. But where we're for a sacred sign. Love shall be our token, love shall be yours, and love be mine. Love to God and all men, love for plea and gift and sign. This is a beautiful uh, poem that's been rearranged into hymns, uh, choir songs, contemporary music, and to celebrate our Christmas time and what it means to be remembering our Christ who is incarnated, what's love for us, Lord. So what is love? Is it a feeling or is it an emotion? Friends, love is quite complex, and I think most of us agree. It's really hard to describe. But is I think in our culture today is somewhat confused as well. We may know, remember, uh, Tina Turner sings that song, What's Love Got to Do With It? What's Love But a Secondhand Emotion? So in that case, love is kind of reduced to a raw emotion. Love is expressed through relationship. It is experienced through relationship with our spouses, with our families, with our relatives, with our friends, or even people around us. But most of all, it's an experience we have with God as well. And love can be the most beautiful thing in our lives, the most joy, but it can be the most painful and the lowest part as well. Because love is found in all the extremes. How did God express his love for us? Well, in our verses earlier in 1 John chapter 4, he said, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. When sin first entered the world in Genesis 3, our relationship with God was broken. We all have sinned, and that separated us from God. But our Father in heaven longed to restore that relationship with us. When Adam and Eve were still making excuses about why they ate from the tree, the forbidden tree, God already had a plan. He spoke to the serpent in the garden and said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head 
and you will strike his heel. Genesis 3.15. God made a promise right away to deliver us from the power of death, the power of sin through the second Adam. Pastor Rich spoke about that in his faith message. This was prophesied by Isaiah in 7.14, that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Jesus is the son of God that was incarnated in the flesh. He lived in our broken and dangerous world, and he died on the cross for our sins. His divine love is expressed on the cross because he ex experienced the same brokenness and pain and the lowest part of the valley. But Jesus has risen, and we can be restored to him. If we turn from our own way, receive him as our Lord and Savior, our relationship will be brought back with God. We can experience that divine love. The divine love is self-giving, sacrificially. It's called agape in Greek. The love is also a sacred sign, as said in the poem. It's a covenant. Now, we live in a society that we have a real problem with making commitments. Lawyers are hired to draft business contracts that are pages and pages long to govern the behavior of the different parties, how they should conduct. Half of our marriages are ends in divorces because even though the the couple have said, I will or I do, when they made their original vows. There was a, you remember, the, there was a men's movement called the Promise Keeper that was to help Christian men not to make promises, but to keep them. In the Bible, in the scripture, it used the word covenant, which is entrenching a very serious binding commitment. The Hebrew word for covenant is brit. For example, brit milah means circumcision. It's a covenant between the people of Israel and God. Said in Genesis 17, circumcision is made in blood and there's pain, irreversible. So God takes covenant seriously. Now probably the most famous Old Testament covenant that is still celebrated by the Jews today is the story of Exodus. God's promise to deliver them out of slavery. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from being slave to them. I will redeem you from, with an outstretched arm and a mighty act of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Exodus 6. 6 to 8. And what God says, it will come to pass. Then in the New Testament, which is referred as the New Covenant, is prophesied in Jeremiah 31 and also proclaimed by Jesus at the Passover Supper. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this is the cup of the New Covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And Luke 22 this is the sacred sign, the new covenant that Jesus, through his blood, 
that was shed on the cross for our sins. He made the covenant in blood. Fred, I want to share what the Father's love looks like. A love that is unthinkable. In Luke 15, Jesus offered a glimpse of our Father's love in the parable of the particle son. Jesus told this story to a Jewish audience, a bunch of tax collectors, so-called sinners, and also a bunch of Pharisees. And what he spoke was something that is so unthinkable. Many of you know the story. It's a, the younger son goes up to the dad and said, give me the, uh, my share of the estate. So the father divided up the, the asset and gave half to the son. The son takes the money, set off for a distant land, and he squandered his wealth in wild living. A famine hit the land, and he was in big trouble. He had no money left. He hired himself out to be a citizen of that country feeding pigs. And as the pig was being fed, he sat there probably barefoot, hungry, longing for the pig's food. And we can jump into the story in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your higher men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The father said to the father, the son said to the father, said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He is lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The late Kenneth Bailey, he's a Christian scholar. He was born in Egypt to missionaries. He lived in the Middle East for 40 years. And he offered this perspective that really opened my eyes to this powerful parable in the Haven ministry. To the original Jewish audience that Jesus told this parable to, it was completely unthinkable. There's four items here. It's what is unthinkable is the request, the wild living, the rejection of God, and the Father's love. Now, the first unthinkable is the request. Now, we all have parents. My parents are gone now to be with the Lord. But when they were still here, I would have never dreamt to go up to my father and say, Dad, you're getting old. My Honda Civic is also getting quite old. I could use a Tesla. Why don't you cash in your retirement saving and give me my share? It's going to be mine anyway, right? Now, I can't imagine most of you here or all of you here would make such a request to your parents. But to the Jewish audience in Jesus' time, this is a shocking request. 
They live in a culture where one is to be honoring your father and mother. This is essentially telling your father to go drop dead. I want your money. And at that in that culture, the father would have likely disowned the son, kick him out of the house, pretend he never was born. But in this parable, the father agreed and gave the inheritance to the son. An unthinkable request and an unthinkable response. The second is the wild living. The son did not just take the money and open up his own ranching business down the road. He set off to a distant land and took everything to the extreme. Go big or go home. He went to a distant land, which means he left the promised land of his people and settled in a Gentile pagan culture. And when his money ran out, he hired himself out to feed pigs and clean animals for the Jews. So he turned his back on his people, on his land, to pursue his wild living. Unthinkable. The third unthinkable was the rejection of God. Now, we, I read earlier that the Old Testament story of redemption is essentially the story of Exodus. God delivering his people out of slavery from a Gentile country to the promised land. Now, this particle son was going the opposite direction. He left the promised land and then sells himself to serve a Gentile nation, feeding pigs. This son basically reversed God's plan of redemption to pursue his own will, totally un unthinkable. The last is the father's love. When the starving son was finally coming to his senses, he decided to go back to his father. And that is the process of redemption. He prepared an apology speech and to ask his dad to take him back as one of his higher men. The, the son figured that the, if the father takes him back as a higher worker, he can slowly work his way back and pay off the debt he owed his father. As a Pharisee that was listening there, they were probably wringing their hands and saying, ha ha, finally, the father can lay it on this prodigal son when he crawled his way back. Now that's justice. But when the son was still a long way off, the father spotted him. The father, filled with compassion, ran to his son, threw his arm around him, embraced him, kissed him. The Pharisee must have fallen off the chair. And the son started his prepared speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But before he can continue, the father interrupted with calling the servant to bring in the, the rope, the ring for the finger, the sandal for his feet, kill the fat calf to celebrate. He said, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father wasn't sitting on his chair in the living room like Archie Bunker with his arm crossed waiting for his son to come back, to scold him. Instead, he was watching over the horizon. When he saw the son, he ran to him. The father becoming the rushing servant. This is the image of love incarnated. The father embracing his son. 
totally unthinkable. You see, the issue was never about paying back the debt the son owed to the dad. It was always about the broken relationship he had. He basically turned his back on his father, broke his father's heart. That no amount of repayment plan can restore. But when the son decided to return, the father was there, ready with open arms. He became the rushing servant to embrace his lost son. All have been forgiven and the relationship restored. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor John shared his own story about restoring his relationship with his father. A powerful, touching story because he has broken his father's heart. What a wonderful story of restoration. Have we turned our back on our Father in heaven to pursue our own things? Are we ready to return to him because he is ready to embrace us? Beloved, our Father is waiting on the horizon, looking for his sons and daughters to return. He loves us so much, he gave his son to die on the cross for us, a debt that we can never repay. Jesus came on the first Christmas as that rushing servant to embrace us, to shower us with God's favor. This is the unthinkable love of the Father. How should we love? How should love be our token? It says in 1 John verse, chapter 4, verse 11, Dear friend, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. So whether we are, we are single, married, divorced, widow, Love shall be our token in every aspect of our lives and our relationships. But what does that look like? Paul gave this counterculture explanation to the church of Corinth, a city very corrupted with people seeking their own selfish desires, pleasures. And you heard this verse many times, probably in weddings. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy and it does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices in with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. Now marriage is often used in the scripture to describe the relationship God has for us. It describes the relationship with God and the people of Israel, his, his wife. And today, Christ, our bridegroom, and we, the church, his bride. God betrothed himself to Israel. He says in Jeremiah 2, verse 2, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness in a land that was not sown. This is describing the relationship of Israel following God through, through the desert. In ancient Hebrew wedding, it consists of two stages, two steps, the betrothal ceremony and the actual wedding itself. Stage one, the betrothal process is a legal contract joining the bride and the groom, although they still would not live together. 
this contract spells out the price for the bride. It could be 20 camels, some gold and silver jewelries, whatever. And then the bride and the groom will share a cup of wine, a cup of covenant to seal the deal. And the betrothal process is completed. You remember Mary and Joseph were betrothal when Mary became pregnant with the Holy Spirit. The second stage comes later. After the groom has gone back to his father's house to prepare a place for he and his bride to live together, then he goes back to get his bride and bring her to the new home. Stage two is the consummation of the marriage. It's a big wedding supper. And in biblical time, the guests will gather together to honor the bridegroom and also, also to appreciate the beauty of the bride. Church, picture ourselves as the bride of Christ. We are the beloved one. We drink the cup, the covenant cup of our betrothal each time when we share the communion. We were bought with a price, a price paid in full on the cross. Now we are waiting for the return of our bridegroom. He will take us to the wedding banquet where Jesus will be honored and he has made us beautiful without blemishes. In Beijing, people will generally introduce their spouses as the I Wen, my lover. When I heard that, initially my mind started to wander and say, hey, you know, is that your mistress? <laughs> but no, <laughs> that's how they refer to their spouse, even after decades of marriage. And I thought about this and say, yeah, that's actually a quite accurate depiction uh, of your love. Love should not change even after years of marriage. Love is not a function of time. I will close with another poem by a fellow named Brian Walsh. He's a, he's a chaplain at uh, U of T and also a uh, theologian at Wycliffe College in Toronto. The poem is actually is a sermon given to a young couple at a wedding. The poem is written in the style of Songs of Songs, Songs of Solomon. And it's as a blend of the popular song, Lovers in a Dangerous Time, and Jeremiah 29 and John 15. This message was given as a blessing and a calling for a young couple as they start their lives together. I'll just read that, you can bear with me. On the day you're waiting for the sky to fall, the next you are dazzled by the beauty of it all. Apocalyptic uh, dread and creation delight, anxiety and joy, it's all crashing down or you are overwhelmed by the pure, the sheer beauty of us all. Her beauty, his beauty, central beauty, the beauty of gift. This is the way it is for lovers in a dangerous time. That's the way it is when you make love in empire. That is the way it is when you pledge troth. That is the way it is when you get married against the odd. When you are lovers in a dangerous time, 
sometimes you are made to feel as if your loves are crime. It's criminal to choose or close down your options in a world of infinite choice. It is criminal to say enough in a world of insatiability. It is criminal to say I do in a world of duplicity. It is criminal to tie the knot in a world with no strings attached. It is criminal to offer yourself in an act of momentous giving in a world where everything has a price. Sometimes you're made to feel as if your love's a crime. Criminal activity at Trinity Anglican Church on Thanksgiving weekend. When you are lovers in the dangerous times, sometimes you're made to feel as if your love's a crime. Nothing's worth having comes without some kind of a fight. Got to kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. Kicking at the darkness, getting married in the dark. Marriage as a shining light in darkness, truffle love as good news in a world of consumer sexuality. How? How can we kick at the darkness? How do we live amidst empire? How do we live in Babylon? How do we live in exile? Thus say the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all exiles. Thus say the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to Andrew and Erica, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take each other as husband and wife, have children, multiply in all your ways, and do not decrease. Build houses in a culture of homelessness, plant garden in polluted soil, get married, have children in this world, multiply in a world of debt, that's it, but we want to kick it the darkness. Building houses, building a life together in, of hospitality, getting your hands dirty in the soil, sharing a life of faithfulness with each other, with your community and with your neighborhood and with the poor. Raising children of covenant, multiplying virtue, justice, kindness, compassion, forgiveness, all this is kicking at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. Kick at the darkness, seek the welfare of the city. Kick at the darkness, seek shalom. Kick at the darkness, spirit open to the thrust of grace. Kick at the darkness, not our bravado, not our triumphalism, not our bitterness. Kick at the darkness rooted in grace. Kick at the darkness living in the light. Kick at the darkness with eyes wide open. Kick at the darkness because the exile will be long. Kick at the darkness because the darkness will not have the final word. Kick at the darkness because darkness is ubiquitous, but it is not sovereign. I have plans for you, say the homemaking God. I have plans for your shalom. I have plans for your homecoming. Call and I will hear. Seek and I will be found. Come and I will gather you. Come and I will come to you. These fragile bodies of touch and taste, this vibrant skin, this hair-like lace, spirit open up to the thrust of grace, never a breath you can afford to waste when you are lovers in a dangerous time. Lovers in a dangerous time need to some live somewhere. Lovers in a dangerous time need to bear fruit in wilderness. Abide in me as I abide in you. 
Abide in me and bear much fruit. Abide in me, be at home in me. Be homemakers under the shelter of my love. Abide in my love, live in my love. Abide in me, my word will abide in you. My word will dwell with you as a dwell with each other. A word-shaped dwelling, a Christ-shaped dwelling. Abide in Jesus, living in empire. Abide in Jesus, lovers in a dangerous time. Abide in Jesus, open to the fuss of grace. Abide in Jesus, bearing much fruit. Abide in Jesus, abiding in joy. Seek the welfare of the city. Seek shalom. Seek the welfare of the city. Love one another. What a friend we have in Jesus. He laid down his life for us. What a friend she has in Andrew. He will lay down his life for her. What a friend he has in Erica. She will lay down her life for him. Seek the welfare of the city. Go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Go and bear fruit. Fruit of the gospel. Go and bear fruit. Fruit of the light. Go and bear fruit. Fruit that will kick at the darkness. Go and bear fruit. Fruit of committed love. Go and bear fruit. Fruit that works. That seeks alone. Go and bear fruit. Fruit that will satisfy and sustain the weary. Go forth, my sister, my brother. Go forth from this day and bear fruit. Go forth and multiply. And go forth as lovers in a dangerous time. And as you go, abide in Jesus. And as you go, abide in his word. And as you go, you do not go alone. We go with you because we are the lovers of dangerous time. This is a, a wedding sermon to commission a young couple into the ministry of marriage. A ministry of commitment of love in the darkness a ministry of kingdom living while we are still in exile under these worldly empires. Marriage is not to be inward focused. It's self-giving love. And this is a call for purpose-driven marriage, letting our love be our token. Francis Chan said in his book, You and Me Forever, that while we cannot l allow the lesser things to destroy our marriages, we also cannot allow marriage to distract us from the greater things. God asks us to pursue him first and foremost. And that's when our life makes sense. Everything then starts to fall in the proper place. So even marriage points to something much greater than the husband and the wife themselves. God said to the exiles in Babylon, to build houses, to settle down, to plant gardens, to eat, to produce, to marry, have children, sons and daughters, seeking the welfare of the city. Even when we're living in the darkness, under the prince of this world, we are to increase and not decrease because darkness is not sovereign. Our God is. Our sister Tracy Robinson shared and prayed during a morning prayer session last week that even when it's cloudy like today the sun is shining even when it's snowing in a storm the sun is still shining on us we just need to peel away and let the light come in 
we love, we, we may be going through dark times, and we talked about 2021, and there's plenty of darkness around us if we want to look. But we know, and we have the peace that our bridegroom is coming back for us, our Lord. And while we're waiting, we are to be the children of the light and love. We are to let love be our token in this world because God has so loved us. Father, we thank you for your sacrificial love for us, Lord, for sending Jesus as the incarnated love at the first Christmas to bring us back to that relationship with you, Lord. Father, strengthen us as we go through each day and go through our times of trials and temptation, Lord, that we remember that our love is rooted in you and you empower us with the Holy Spirit to face all the challenges of this world, Lord. Help us to be patiently waiting for your return. Help us to trust in you, that your spirit will fill us with your love and that we can stand as a banner of love and light for you, Lord. Let our love be a token to the people around us let us restore our relationship with the people around us through your love, Lord. Father, we thank you for this morning, and may your words touch our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Gene, for a wonderful message. A few years back, one of my good pastor friends was given this saying from the Lord that if you have not learned to love in life, you have not learned anything. You've not learned to love in life, you've not earned anything learned anything and in fact that's become a life verse for him is starting his a new ministry around this whole concept of learning to love and that's what eugene really brought home to us so god we just pray that <clears throat> these thoughts this message father god would water our hearts as we reflect upon christmas as we reflect upon who you are god it fills us with a, a fresh picture of your great love for us and how we in turn need to go and show that to others so let your grace pour in and empower us father god to show love to those that are around us in a fresh and a new way we give you thanks in jesus name